sickness, his so-called friends have already come by and dissected his experience and given their unwanted opinions on what he should do next and maybe why it happened to him and what his next steps should be. His wife has told him to curse God and die. He's gone through all of this stuff and now it is Job who is speaking in this portion of scripture and he's speaking of the Lord. He's speaking out of this, this place of confusion and this place of frustration in this place of, uh, of being stuck in the unknown. When he says of God, he says, for he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him and that we should come together in judgment that we could sit across from each other at a table and we could have a conversation. Job saying, God's not a man that I can answer him. We can't sit down over a coffee and, and rectify the situation. I can't tell him what's bothering me and he can't tell me why it's all happening. And then he says, neither is there any daysman. Somebody say that word, daysman. Neither is there any daysman betwixt or between us that he might, look now, that he might lay his hand on us both. Job is so frustrated. He doesn't know what is going on. I'm going to make a bold statement this morning, but I have the mic so I'm right and you can't argue with me. I believe, and I believe I have the facts to back it up. I believe that Job had suffered, even up until this day, that Job had suffered more than any other human being in all of history outside of Jesus Christ. He had 10 kids that were all completely wiped out just like that. I have three kids. God's blessed me with three wonderful tax deductions. 17, 15, and 10. My wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage just a few months ago. Job had 10. I can't imagine. I never, I've prayed many, many times. God, don't ever, please, 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 please don't ever take one of my kids before you take me. I can't imagine the loss that a parent feels. And some of you maybe have gone through that. And I'm so sorry for that. I can't imagine the loss of losing a child. Now, if you have 10, well, maybe you could afford to lose. <laughs> I'm just teasing. We all have favorites. But Job had 10 kids that he loved and just like that, they were completely taken from this life. He was the richest man and yet just like that, he became the poorest man. He went from the, 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 the perfect picture of health to the extreme point of sickness. I don't think that the devil just, just gave Job a headache. God said, you can do whatever you want to do to Job. You just can't kill him. 
And the devil's purpose was to make him curse God. The devil's purpose was to make Job turn his back on God. And he was going to do whatever he possibly could. That means that he took Job to the most extreme point of pain. The most extreme point of torment and suffering. And Job couldn't get out of it even if he wanted to. Suffering upon suffering upon suffering, building block upon building block. You see, Job did not have the privilege of reading Job chapter 1 like we do. Job didn't know that he was part of some big experiment. He didn't know that everything that was going on was being allowed to happen to him and in some ways even orchestrated by God. He didn't know that he was part of a, of a hell experiment. He didn't know that, 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 that God was allowing this to happen to him. I think that if you had the privilege to sit down with Job during that time and you were able to ask him, Job, what in the world is happening to you? I don't think Job would have been able to give you an answer as to what was happening or why it was happening. He didn't know if it was the devil. He didn't know if it was God. He didn't know if it was just some really bad string of events. Job just didn't know. He was in a confusing place. And it's here in this text that Job is speaking out of his heart. He's being very transparent and he's frustrated when he makes this statement. He said, there is no daysman. There's no one between me and God. God is not a man that I can answer him or that he can answer me. I know that in today's day and age that the word daysman is not a common term. It's not in our vocabulary or vernacular. We don't use it. In fact, until... Getting this message together, I never heard it used one time in my entire life. You? Anybody? Nope. In fact, in the Bible, it's only used one time, and it's only used in one version, the King James Version. If it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. It was only not not in the other versions, not in the not in the New King James, not in the not in the ESV, not in the the NIV, the nearly inspired version. None of that. It's not in any of it. It's only right here. You see, a daysman in Job's day is one who would come between two disagreeing parties. If there was someone that had a disagreement or a complaint with another individual. They did not have court systems like we have and, and lawyers. And so they had to go and they would find a daysman. And both parties would sit down with that daysman. And one side would pour out their heart and the other side would give their point of view. And it was up to the daysman to bring about some sort of reconciliation. 
See, the daysman was very important. It, there, there was very specific things that had to be laid out in order to be a credentialed daysman. It couldn't just be anybody. It had, and listen to this because I'm going to come back to it. It had to be somebody who understood what both parties were going through. It had to be somebody who felt and had compassion or maybe who had already been through what both sides were arguing about. They had to completely understand but yet be totally impartial. They couldn't have a dog in the fight, if you will. They couldn't be pulling for one side or the other. They had to be neutral and understand, but only seek justice and pursue that which was right in order to bring about resolution. A good way maybe to, to understand it in our day would be to maybe... Maybe be a referee. A referee. Many referees have played the sports that they're refing. Many referees know what it's like to be on both sides of the field. But if you happen to, to go to a game or you're watching a game and Tennessee, the Vols, no Vols fans, all right. I don't blame you. <clears throat> if Tennessee is playing, I don't know, maybe, who's their rival? I don't even know. Alabama? Oh. If Tennessee is playing Alabama, and the referee before the pregame warm-up goes over to the Alabama quarterback, pats him on the back, gives him a little hug around the shoulders and says, have a good game, son. It's going to be a problem later on in the game. It's going to be a problem when Tennessee scores a touchdown, but yet for some weird reason it seems to be overruled by one little thing in the rules. I think that might have happened this year. See, the, the daysman had to be impartial. He couldn't be pulling for one side or the other. And Job is sitting there in this state as the cry of Job comes from his heart. As he says, I wish there was a daysman, an arbitrator, because I've got some stuff going on in my life right now. I don't understand it. I don't know why it's happening. I prayed for it to be released. I prayed for an answer to come. I prayed for deliverance, but it's not happening. And I can't sit down with God and ask him what's going on. There is no daysman. Hang on, I'm going to preach here in just a second. You see, chronologically, Job is the oldest book in your Bible. Job, chronologically, was written and put on parchment, if you will, or scroll. It was written before Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, all that stuff. It was written before all of that. And I say that to say this. Job lived and Job died without having any Scripture. 
Think about that. Job was going through all of these trials without ever having a scripture, a word of God, something to reference. He couldn't look and see how he came through through for Moses through the Red Sea. He couldn't see how God delivered Egypt. He couldn't see how David killed Goliath. He couldn't see any of that because he was the first one. We know Job was restored. We know Job was blessed beyond measure in the end. But Job lived and died without ever having an audience with God, without ever having the go-between to bring about resolution. Job never got an explanation as to why things happened the way they did. But you hear me this morning, First Pentecostal. Job may have died without a daysman, but the cry for a daysman did not die when Job went into the grave. The cry for a mediator rang out through time and space and carried on past his grave and rang out through history. I can hear the cry for a daysman come to the ears of a man named Noah. Noah is the last righteous man on the planet. The world is so wicked that the only option left for God is to annihilate all of mankind and destroy them by the flood. But the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Hey, Noah, I want to ask you a question. Could you be our daysman on Job's behalf? Could you be the one to bring God to us so that we can have some sort of resolution but no we find Noah on the other side of the ark on the other side of the flood and he's drunk And before you criticize Noah too bad if you've been locked up on a boat for a year with your family you'd probably get drunk too hello somebody but now Noah's laying in his tent And he's drunk. And now with drunkenness on his record, Noah is now disqualified to be our daysman because he's as flawed as we are. The cry rings on from Noah and comes to the ears of a man named Abraham. Is there, if there was ever anybody that could get us to God and get God to us, surely it must be Abraham. This is a man that's so favored that he has been called the friend of God. Abraham, could you get God to the table for us? Could you be a go-between for us? Abraham, God loves you so much that he said he's going to bless those that bless you and he's going to curse those that curse you. He said your seed is going to be more number than the stars of the sky or the sands of the sea. Abraham, could you be our daysman? But then we find Abraham under the pressure of life and he lies to Pharaoh about his wife and says she's my sister and now with a broken, tarnished character, Abraham can no longer be our daysman. So we move on until we find a little boy sitting out under the starlit sky in Bethlehem, strumming his harp, singing a song directly into the ear of God. This is someone who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. What about? 
got it, David. You love the Lord. He loves you. You're his psalmist. Amen. You sing praises that only he has heard. Could you bring God to the table for us, David? Could you arrange a meeting for us? No. Then we find David on the rooftop of his palace looking out over the naked, beautiful bathing body of a woman named Bathsheba and lust begins in his heart. And now David's broken in character, guilty of adultery, guilty of murder, guilty of a massive cover-up. And now David is no longer fit to be our daysman. But the cry of Job continues to ring out. Who will come? Who will bridge the gap between God and man? So we continue and we move along through the prophets. How about you, Jeremiah? You're a man that is so moved with humanity that you wrote an entire book entitled Lamentations, which means to weep and to cry. Jeremiah, you understand how hard it is. You understand how life can be. You understand what we're going through. Jeremiah, could you be our daysman? But Jeremiah replies with a heavy heart, I can't do it. I could represent you to God but I can't represent God to you. I'm still struggling with the plight of humanity myself. You come to the minor prophets. How about you, Hosea? You're a man who's wept many times under the will of God, living out his command. You've wept over an unfaithful wife. God has revealed his heart to you concerning Israel. Hosea, could you be our daysman? And Hosea says, I cannot. I have so many questions that are still unanswered. The cry of Job is still ringing out. So we leave the minor prophets and we walk through 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew. It's represented by only one blank page in your Bible. But for 400 years, the skies were brass. For 400 years, the clouds were steel. God didn't speak. The prophets didn't prophesy. The spirit didn't move. And for 400 years, God sat silently upon his throne as mankind sat and wondered, would there ever be a daysman? Oh, you better kick it into preaching gear now because I'm turning it up. We find when we open the New Testament, we see a man out in the wilderness. He's a wild man. He's wearing camel skins. He's got honey and locusts all stuck in his beard. Surely John could be our daysman. Surely he could be the one. So we run out into the wilderness and we find John preaching up a storm and we get somewhere back in the crowd and we get John's attention and we say, excuse me, John, could you be the one? Could you be the daysman that Job and all that humanity has looked for? And John says, no, I'm not him, but don't go anywhere because he's going to be here in just a little while because there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to lace up. I'll baptize you with water, but he'll come on somebody. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Come on, how 
How many's thankful you know who Jesus is? How many's thankful you know that when Jesus walked this earth, he was all God, yet he was all man. The word became oh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, the marshal quoted it, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to get down here in the cheap seats for just a minute. Because if that don't get you excited, nothing's going to get you excited. Amen. Because of all of time, for thousands of years, there were people who were crying out for Jesus to come. But when that... On that starry night in Bethlehem, when that baby got into that manger and that cry began to ring out, amen, that cry fulfilled the prophecy of Job. What was that? Thank you. We move out in Bethlehem. Oh, what it must have been like as Mary gave birth to that baby boy. And they slapped his bottom just like they do every other baby. And the cry began to come forth. The cry began to split that cool, chilly night air. But you have to understand today that it wasn't just the cry of some normal infant baby boy. Because that cry not only pierced the silence of the night, but that cry of that baby boy divided time right down the middle. And said, B.C., you stay over here. And A.D., you come over here on this side. The cry of that baby separated your Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The cry of that baby drew a line in the sand and said, Law, you operate over here. And Grace, you operate over here. It's the cry of Jesus Christ that fulfilled the cry of Job for thousands of years that Job had been longing to see. Finally, there was a daysman. See, I told you in the beginning that a daysman must be impartial, that they must see both sides. They must understand where both parties were coming from. I'm going to need a little bit of help right here. The Bible said that Jesus was 100% God, yet he was 100% man. The scripture very clearly explains that the humanity of Jesus Christ and the deity of Jesus Christ dwelt simultaneously in the same body. He was all man, yet he was all God. And the humanity of Christ never overrode the deity of Christ. And the deity of Christ never got in the way of the humanity of Christ. He felt everything we feel. He experienced everything we experience. He experienced it as a man. He felt it as a man. He lived it as a man. But he was all God. He was born of a virgin, but he was God in Mary's womb. He was God in Mary's arms. He was God confining the minds of the wise in the temple. He was God when he walked up Calvary's hill. 
You're going to have to help me just a little bit. I'm almost done. Amen. But let me put it to you this way. He was so much man that he slept in a boat, yet he was so much God that the wind ceased when he spoke. He was so much man that he wept when Lazarus died, yet he was so much God. Lazarus came forth when he cried. He was so much man that he thirsted at the well, yet he was so much God that he saved my soul from hell. He was so much man that he died upon a tree, yet he was so much God that he rose in victory. Come on, I'm talking about my daysman. I'm talking about my savior. I'm talking about my Jesus. It's amazing to me that God, the God of heaven, the God of the universe, would subject himself to the feelings of man, to the torture, to the pain, to the agony, all the temptation. That he was tempted with. The Bible says he was tempted in all points. That doesn't mean exactly every single sin. Because we have sins in our day that he didn't have. But it means every category. Every point. He was tempted in every point. Just like you were. And it wasn't just a passing thought. As it just went through his mind. He agonized with temptation sometimes. As he's fasted for 40 days and the devil is tempting him with some food. I mean, I go 12 hours and I'm thinking about a buffet. 40 days and the devil's tempting him. Just do this. Just do that. Come on. Just do that. Come on. You can, you can do it. I'll give you all this. Come on. Just, just do it. Come on. Come on, just, just one time. Just, 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 just give in this one time. There's nobody around. There's nobody looking. Just, no. He was tempted. Yet, without sin. It's amazing to me that God would put himself through that and walk the dusty roads of this earth for 33 and a half years and experience what we experience and be tempted by what we're tempted with. But he had to put himself through every temptation, every bit of pain, all the betrayal, all the gossip, all the backstabbing. He poured everything he had into a man named Judas and for a can of Pepsi and a bag of Doritos, he sold them out. Betrayal. So you don't understand how I've been hurt. No, I don't. But he does. 
you would not understand who's talked about me and turned their back on me. You don't understand. It was my closest relative. It was my spouse. It was my kid. You don't understand the pain that I've been through. No, I don't. He does. You don't understand the pain and the agony, the torture. No, I don't. (laughs) You see, he became the go-between. He became the daysman. He became the mediator. For First Timothy 2, 5 still says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I came to tell you today, amen, I'm not here to to, to bring you some amazing message that you'll talk about for years to come. I just came to bring you a very simple message, amen. The cry of Job rang out for thousands of years, but for you, you have what Job never had today. You have what the Old Testament never had today. You have what Moses never had never had. You have what David never had. You had what Jeremiah never had. You have what Abraham never had. You have today in 2022 you have a daysman. You have somebody who knows. Somebody who understands. Somebody who can pull you through. Music team come. Please. Stand with me, if you will. Don't go out. This isn't your time to leave. Just stand. The word said that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I wouldn't have to be a prophet to stand up here today or somebody who's super spiritual and used in the gifts of the spirit to stand up here today and look down over my glasses and say bless God somebody's going through something today we're all going through something I always wanted to be a prophet then I became an evangelist now I'm just a non-profit to stand up here today and read your mail or call you out or tell you what you ate for breakfast I know we're all facing stuff every one of us are going through trials and tribulations and temptations and pandemics and all kinds of crazy stuff but I know somebody who knows every single fear every feeling every bit of confusion every bit of temptation everything you're facing he knows see you're surrounded by people today who care you're surrounded by people today who love you but they may not totally understand 
got a wonderful pastor and pastor's wife who will do anything for you and stay up all hours of the night and hold your hand and pray and fast and do everything they can for you, but they may not completely understand because they've not been where you're at right now. But you can't leave here today and say there's nobody who cares. There's nobody who understands. There's nobody who could ever feel what I'm going through right now. Because there is one who became qualified when he wrapped himself in flesh and walked down the Via Della Rosa and walked up a hill called Calvary and hung himself on that cross. There became one daysman. You see, the text that we read was the other part of Job's cry when he said, I just wish there was somebody to, to, to come betwixt us and that he might lay his hand on us both. See, when Jesus hung on that cross, he was fulfilling the last part of that cry of Job. Because one hand was reached into the throne room of God. And the other hand was reached out to all of humanity. As he became that in-between, that go-between, that intercessor. And as he died on that cross, he was fulfilling the cry of Job. I already became the daysman, but right now, Job, I still hear your cry. And I'm laying my hand on you both. As that humanity of Jesus Christ was in between heaven and earth. I thank God today. I thank God today. I'm not standing up here and I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm not standing up here as someone who's never been through anything. This past year, my family, my wife, and my children have been through one of the, well, the hardest year that we've ever been through. I don't need to go into details because it's none of your business. None yet. But the devil has attacked our family. And when he attacks your kids, that's the worst thing he could ever attack for a parent. He's tried to take us out. But when I kneel in prayer and I lay myself before the throne, I'm not crying out to some statue. I'm not kneeling down to rub on Buddha's belly. I'm not kneeling down to cry out to a God who's wrapped in mummy clothes somewhere. No. I'm kneeling down and I'm crying out to a God who knows all the pain. And I can tell you this, that when I come through the trial, that when I come through the fire, that when I've been tried in a furnace of earth, 
like gold and like silver. I'm going to come through on the other side purified. I'm going to come through stronger. I'm going to come through with a testimony. I'm going to come through a test with a testimony. I'm going to come through a mess with a message. I'm going to be able to stand up and boldly declare that God's been faithful. I wish you'd raise your hands all over this house and begin to cry out to God because he knows your situation. He knows your struggle. Amen. If you're not going through something, pray for your neighbor. If everything's perfect right now, pray for the one beside you. But God came to answer prayer. God came to be the go-between. God came to be the mediator today. Come on, all over this house. Come on, all over this house. Somebody begin to call upon the name of Jesus. Somebody call upon the name of Jesus. Come on. If you need God to meet your need, this altar's open. If you need God to heal your body, the altar's open. If you need God to meet it, you need to get out of your seat. Come on, I'm not waiting. Don't wait. Get out. Come on, get out. Get out. Get out. Take somebody by the hand. Bring him down to the altar. Say, come on. We're going to meet it. We're going to meet God. We're going to get at the feet of Jesus. We're going to cry out. We're going to cry out. The battle belongs to God. I'm going to see a victory this morning. When I leave here, it's going to be different. When I leave here, things are going to be different. I'm going to see a victory because the battle isn't mine. The battle isn't mine. It belongs to God.